0: Hello, hello. Welcome to Words and Voices, a little sanctuary, a quiet nook where you'll hear hard, raw and humbling conversations with some of the best humans elevating humanity. This is for the round pegs and square holes, the misfits, oddballs, weirdos, tinkerers and thinkers who dig a simple philosophy that one word, one message, one idea and one voice can change the world. So without further ado, here's our chief mischief maker, Neelam Tawar.
1: Hello, hello. Today I have someone I love and uh, you guys know that I always bring people I love and admire Today, it's Mario Pereca and Mario has done all kinds of amazing things in his life, right from uh, exploring entrepreneurship to starting you know, his own business. He's been a coach, he's studied mindset work, and he's even authored two cookbooks. He's appeared on TV more than 50 times promoting his books there is so much i did not know about him till i got on this recording with him and i could say that i've known him and i think he's definitely someone i would consider to be a friend he has his own podcast so you can go definitely check him out there today we're splitting his episode into two and this section is amazing he's like literally giving us golden nuggets on everything right from, you know, your mindset, accepting how things are, accepting what's right, what's not so great in our lives. But also, you know, he goes through this concept of faith and entrepreneurship. And if you listen to this, his story is brilliantly inspiring, of course, but you're going to see the different trajectories and the different thought processes that went into where he has arrived now with with what he does in the world. But Faith has been a big part of that journey. And one of the things he talks about in this section, you you will like, is he talks about reducing that noise, taking care of those emotions, reducing the noise, doing what matters. And my favorite example, which you should listen to, please, is he narrates a story of Socrates and how Socrates always maintained that he didn't know anything. And that's where he feels wisdom comes from, too. And Mario also gives us a beautiful parable that he shares from the Bible with us as well. You're going to love listening to him and you will obviously hear his voice and know why he was on radio. Uh, Just take every nugget here that he has to share and I hope it resonates for you as much as it did for me. And tell us about it. Tell us what you thought. I always want to hear, whether it's through the comment section or if you want to shoot me a note privately, I'm very findable. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mario. Part one. Enjoy. Hey, Mario, welcome to Words and Voices.
2: Neelam, thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be here. This is going to be fun.
1: It is. You know, you and I never have short conversations.
2: (laughs) Uh, No, we don't know what those are. We always uh, dig ourselves deeper and deeper. And I love it.
1: I do too. I think, you know, I was talking to Landon, who was on the show earlier. And at some point I said, like, if Landon and I were hanging out, people would look at us and be like, what do these two people have in common? And I feel like if people saw you and me together hanging out, they'd be like, hmm, these two look like they're from some different cultures and what could they possibly have in common?
2: It's amazing. It's fun to find commonalities, but it's also fun to embrace and learn about the differences because there's always truth to be uncovered in differences. And it's fun to talk about those things and hear other viewpoints. And I think we think a lot alike underneath it all we've just learned it in different ways which makes it really fascinating
1: yes indeed we were talking about my accent a little while ago so (laughs) that's one one of them
2: (laughs) i love your accent
1: i don't know i have to start calling it something soon
2: yeah give it a name
1: i should give it a label (laughs) i should call it baby from dirty dancing or something like that (laughs) (laughs) i used to love that movie i still do actually because it's one of my favorite movies ever
2: it's an oldie but a goodie
1: Indeed, and it's all about like doing the right thing no matter what, right? Like there's parts mm-hmm. of that old quintessential American values that you can see in the undertones of that movie.
2: Well, I don't know if they're American values. There's they should be <laughs> they should be human <laughs> they should values. Be human values. <laughs> yeah, and I think America needs to embrace them a little bit more lately. But yeah, I think that doing the right thing is something that's really important. It's something we all need to think about, and it's something that. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I think that in today's world of acceptance culture, we start to lose our moral compass. And I think that it's not, I think we should accept all human beings because we're all children of God and we're all infinitely valuable. We're all equal. We're all God's children and we're all infinitely loved. But when we make decisions and we do certain things, we need to have a moral compass. We need to have something that says this is right and this is wrong. And we need to put a flag in the ground and stand for what's right. And I think we love to see that in movies. We love to see that from heroes. But I think that when we get so far into quote-unquote acceptance culture, we begin to just blindly accept everything. Or we feel like if we don't blindly accept everything, then we're wrong. And that's not the case. I think that acceptance culture, at its, when it becomes something that is valuable, means I accept what is right and I do not accept what is wrong. And I think that when we start to think that way and draw that line in the sand, then we're going to see a lot of things start to shift towards the good.
1: Yeah. How does that play into how you do life or business? Because, you know, we know each other from that world as well. I think, in in fact, that's how we first connected. It's been such a cool friendship, to be honest. Like I I feel like everybody I, I have on the show, I feel very connected to and I feel like they're friends, even if I don't get to speak to them often but how does that translate into what you do, how you live and how yeah. you make choices?
2: Big time, because you know, whenever we work with a client, whenever we take a client on, before we even make an offer to work with them, I have to check certain boxes. Mm-hmm. Number one, they have to be someone who I'd actually want to work with. I don't want to yeah. spend, because when we bring someone on, you know, the whole, my whole team at MediaMar and I spend a lot of time with our clients, creating media assets helping them with their podcast getting the strategy behind it so that their podcast can actually become profitable that whole thing so they have to be someone that i wouldn't mind spending time with and that we get along well that's the first thing the second thing is they have to have a strong message that they want the world to hear so they have to have something that they're passionate about something that they don't get tired of talking about something that they feel like It is their mission in this life to take this and make sure as many people know about it as possible or that they make the biggest impact they possibly can with this certain message. The third thing is that message or that mission has to contribute to the common good. It has to be something that's going to make the world a better place and bring people together, not divide them. So, and when I say not divided, now this becomes a little tricky, right? Because it's like, well, is division a good thing or a bad thing? Well, division is almost always a bad thing, but when it's for morality's sake, it's not a terrible thing. Now, all of our clients, we don't really have super touchy subject matter, right? A lot of them are, you know, helping people overcome overwhelm and overcome being stuck and Mm -hmm. solving certain problems. Those are the types of things we look for. But it has to contribute to the common good in some way, shape, or form. We would never bring on a client who condones violence. We yeah. would never bring on a client who you know, condones immoral actions or things that would corrupt youth or corrupt anyone's way of thinking in negative ways. So being attuned to your moral compass and knowing this is right and this is wrong. And when someone is wrong or when someone shows up and has views that are counter to what you believe are right, it doesn't mean I just brush them away. I have conversations with those people many times. And a lot of times we can agree to disagree, and that's fine. I don't think everyone needs to think the same exact way because then we'd have a very boring world. However, I'm very firm in I believe this is good and I believe this is bad. And here's why. And if you, believe the same as me then that's great we can band together and take the message and make it louder if you don't then i will speak my piece you can speak your piece and we can go our separate ways and make our grown up decisions based on at least having the awareness of maybe i should rethink this position
1: yes definitely very interesting times and i think i think especially like when you're in that kind of a business or i believe like my work is just pure like i always look at it bottom line as service right Yeah, it's called a service-based business, sure, fine. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, whoever you're working with, you should enjoy that. Because I've worked in the Mm -hmm. corporate world and we had to work with people or certain type of products that wasn't aligned with my values. Like, you know, like, why are we drugging kids? Kids Mm -hmm. have ADHD or are they just kids? Mm -hmm. Why are we giving them pills? Why are we putting them on this little machinery of sorts that -hmm. they become dependent on something? and sure there might be certain situations where there's a biochemical need for it but the kids they probably need love attention and patience (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i think that's what i struggled with the most like when i was in that corporate world and yeah i think it becomes even more challenging when you're doing your own business because you have a bottom line Mm -hmm. right because let's say you have a team and you know what i mean like if you have people depending on you then you have to make that choice and Hopefully, everyone is aligned on your values. That they know that you mm-hmm. have to let that client go or not make the decision to work with a certain client because it was not mm-hmm. a match.
2: Yeah, that's happened. I mean, there have been people that one of the things I do too is if there's someone that there's certain people that I know that we'd be great together and we I want to work with them and that's all well and good and that happens more often than not. But then there's also certain people who I'm up in the air about. I'm like on the line. I'm like they're passionate but I'm not sure this message resonates with what we do, and I'm not so sure that it really contributes to the common good. In that case, we'll schedule a call, and I'll invite a couple members of my team on to ask questions, and we'll all get to know each other as a whole. And then I'll go back and talk to the team and say, what do you think? Get their input, get their feedback, and then we'll make that decision together from there. So that's typically how we'll handle something like that when it's not, well known. And there have been times when we've done that and they've said, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't think that's such a great fit for us as a as a team. I don't think that they kind of match our value system in this area. And then we all say, we're just going to walk away from this and we'll find someone else who better matches what we do and can help us, you know, with that. And because whenever we bring a client on in our whole client base, we call ourselves a family. Yeah. And we've created that family culture because that's what we want to be. We wanna, you know care about each other and help each other. And we want to foster this atmosphere of, it's not just us providing the service. I mean, that's the main part of it. But aside from us providing the service and the product that we do, we want all of our clients to have a community where they feel supported, where they feel nurtured, where they feel cared for. and That's what we try to create and foster.
1: Yeah. And I think you can make these choices and we are serving everybody involved. You're looking for the highest good for everybody involved, not just for the client or for you or whatever it is. And the team being on board totally helps. I know you've been an entrepreneur longer than I have. (laughs) I was trying to be an entrepreneur in a very system-heavy environment and obviously I didn't fit in. And I had done a post recently where an ex-manager of mine, when I was leaving to say goodbye to him, he said to me, don't ever overstay a place you've outgrown. And what he was, he probably recognized that with me for a very long time, I think, So he told me that. And he said it with love, of course, you know. And the second thing he said to me was, who knows, you know, I might come work for you someday. And I found that to be like the most preposterous thing I'd ever heard because I had not I'm like, me, what could I possibly, you know, I really didn't, not because I was that. And I know that corporate was going to be at some point, it's going to go over there. I knew it was a phase of my life. I always felt that like intrinsically. I just didn't know what I was walking toward. And then when I meet people like you who've been on this journey a little longer than I have, I'm always curious to hear like, what was your backstory? Like, what brought you to entrepreneurship? Was it your upbringing? Was it someone around you? Did you just kind of know this was something you wanted to do? Well,
2: my grandfather was an entrepreneur. My dad was an entrepreneur. So I grew up around it. So that's basically like what I knew. And even when you know i started as a chef but even when i became a chef i did it with the intent to open my own business so i went and worked at the number one city club in america and i was there because it was the best place to work it was very demanding it was high stress level very difficult job but i wanted the best training because i knew I needed to learn the business. I knew I needed to learn at the best I possibly could so that when I did my own thing, I had the best possible experience and knowledge to be able to do that. So I mean, I think it was was Socrates that defined wisdom as knowing that you don't know everything. So the way Socrates would define wisdom, and this is something that really stuck with me, is he went out and questioned a bunch of different people in different sectors. First, he started with politicians. He thought that they were the wisest because if you're in power and you're a politician, people trust you to make decisions, you should be wise. Well, he would question them and realize they're really not that wise. They think they know so much more than they really do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Then he thought, okay, so he was like kind of disturbed and he's like okay since they're not that wise I'm going to go talk to the poets cuz in ancient Greece the poets were thought to be very wise. They would write these things and people would read them and they were beautiful. So he questioned them and he was amazed at the way they could talk and communicate but they really weren't that wise. He he came to the conclusion that they must like pull this in for, channel this information that they're writing somehow, not that they really know it or understand it all that much. Then he went to the craftsmen and he thought he, they impressed him because the craftsmen who were like the lowest tier, right? These are like shipbuilders, architects, people who work with their hands. He realized that they had really had a lot of really specialized knowledge. Like within their area of expertise, they were brilliant. They knew what they were doing. But then he realized they also thought that since they know a lot about, say, shipbuilding, they also believed they knew that much about politics and about fashion and about, you know, the good life. And all of these different things. And he's like, just because you know about one thing doesn't mean you know about another thing. And one thing he always told people about himself was that he knew nothing. Because the more you read and the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know a lot. There's a lot more out there than you can ever learn. So he said, all of these people, they have knowledge, but they lack wisdom. And he defined wisdom as knowing that you don't know a lot of things, knowing that you don't know stuff. The more you know that you don't know, the wiser you are. And so I always came from that place of, I don't know how to do this. So I need to go learn how to do this thing. So for me, that was like a little piece of wisdom that I guess I inherently had. was like, a lot of people be like, I'll just figure it out as I go. I didn't really like that stance. It was like, I understand. I don't know this so i need to go learn this i need to go understand this so that i can then apply this and so that's what i did i went and worked you know i went to school did an apprenticeship while i was in college for culinary became a chef and as i was working through this i got burnt out because it was so difficult it was stressful it was and i did really well i was competing internationally i was doing all kinds of really good stuff And over the course of this time, I also realized that I gained a lot of weight because I was around really good food all day long and I was eating all day. I wasn't sleeping well. I was stressed. All of these things came together. And I was an athlete my whole life up to that point. I played baseball my whole life. I was into exercise. And, you know, my dad was a chiropractor. So I learned that you need to be healthy, natural stuff, all of that fun stuff. And I got to the point where I realized that I wasn't the same person. So not only was I heavy but I was also angry a lot of the time. And I was a very short fuse and I was irritable and I just wasn't happy. And I knew that's not who I am as a person. So I figured I have to do something about this. And again, I came to that point where it's like, I don't really know what to do about this and I don't want to spend the time to kind of try a bunch of different things. So I called my dad and I said, hey, look, I need to do something. I think the thing I have the most control over is my physical self. So if I take care of that first, can you help me lose some weight? I said, I don't have time to like test all these different things and figure this out. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. And he said, okay. So he said, you have to be 110% in there. You can't just do whatever you want. You have to do what I say. So he coached me through it. In six months, I lost 70 pounds, felt better than I ever felt. My energy changed. My attitude changed. I was back to you know, working out again, being happy, being all of those things. And people started noticing. So they started asking me what I did and then they started telling their friends about it. So I started coaching people just based on them asking and based on them telling their friends, I would just coach them the same way I was coached, you know, using certain intermittent fasting and certain schedules and working out, whatever. So I would help them the same way that worked for me. And I didn't think anything of it, I was just doing this on the side because people were asking, well, I was doing my taxes that year, and I realized I made more money coaching than I did cooking. And that's when I said, well, I wonder what would happen if I got intentional about this and I actually tried to do this instead of just letting people come to me willy-nilly whenever they figure it out. So that's what I did. I quit my job cooking and went and started a coaching business full-time. And that's when I dove into entrepreneurism in a different way. I always tell people I never wanted to be a coach. Like, There's all these people I see that are like, oh, I want to be a life coach and I'm going to go get certified and I'm going to do all these. And that's great. If that's really your calling, let me first of all say, if you're 18 years old and you're getting certified to be a life coach, it's probably not a good time to do that. I mean, who am I? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you have all the wisdom in the world, but I just don't think that's probably the right path. But I never woke up and was like, oh, my calling is to be a coach. I never did that. It was because people came to me and kind of I fell into it. So I always say, I never got up and said, I want to be a coach. Coaching chose me. So I started doing that and my background in food lent itself to the weight loss thing. So I started, you know, people kept asking me, what can I eat? What can I eat? And I got tired of answering that question, quite frankly. So in my frustration, I thought, you know what? I'll just write a pamphlet or something and give, so I can hand it to people. Then I started writing and all these different like recipes and ideas started to come out. So I said I'm going to turn this into a cookbook so that'll give me an extra stream of revenue and it'll negate the question I keep asking. So I wrote the book. I spent like pretty much all of my life savings at the time because this was back in like 2010, 2011. This was before print on demand and all that stuff. So it was actually really hard to get a book published back then and it was very expensive too, especially when you're doing a hardback, full color photos, all of oh. that, all of that stuff. Cuz I wanted it to be a good book. So I did that spent almost all of my life savings to get this book published. And then I was sitting in my office with it, very happy that I was holding my book for the first time in my hands. But I also looked around and had like all these boxes uh, surrounded by boxes because I had to buy like a thousand copies right out of the gate. And then I came to the realization, how am I going to sell these? How am I going to make my money back? (laughs) So then I had to go to work. So I started doing live events. I started doing live events. Live events led to TV. TV led to radio. Radio. I was doing TV, radio, live events, started working with the newspaper, started working with magazines, then so I was in all these different forms of media doing all these different things cuz I my whole mantra at that point was when an opportunity comes up just say yes, just say yes and then figure it out cuz you'll at the very least I'll learn something. So just try to learn something. So I was doing all these different things. And that's when I, in the whole midst of all this craziness, because my life was so crazy. I was traveling like every weekend, going different places throughout the week, doing all these different things. And that's when I discovered podcasting. And so I've been podcasting. That was about 10 years ago. And that was before podcasting was really big. It was a thing, but it wasn't like mainstream. And I always laugh because I tell people. Whenever back then I would say, you should listen to my podcast, if I was like at the grocery store at the gym or whatever, and I'd say, you should listen to my podcast, people would say, well, what's a podcast? What's a and podcast? I'd, have to expl- I'd have to explain it to them. Now, when I'm out and about and I tell people, hey, you should listen to my podcast, they pull out their phone and open their app of choice and go, well, what's it called? Mm-hmm. So there's awareness in the space now, which is a good thing. The other side to that, though, is with awareness comes an expectation. So, you know, back then when I first started, if you just had a podcast, like mm-hmm. it could be terribly produced, it could be really like weak content. But if you had a podcast, you could get a huge following because very few what? people were doing it. Like it was, you were early to the game now because people are used to hearing all of these like professionally produced shows. There's so many different choices. There's millions of options, different platforms, all these different things for you to really cut through the noise and to accrue a Uh, an audience you need to have a strong message you need to have a strong base you need to deliver it well and you need to have it produced in such a way that it's consumable to the end user and that end user you have to expect them to do as little work as possible you have to make their job easy and that's why you know people come to me and they're like "Well, why can't i just talk into my phone and make like a voice memo and then publish it i say well you can but don't expect people to love it because you know they're not, people are used to just like when, you know, I'll I'll date myself a little bit, but I remember going on vacation with my parents when I was a kid and we'd be driving, you know, to wherever we're going and we'd be listening to the local radio station and you get so far away from home and that station, you start to lose the signal, right? It starts to crackle and pop and get staticky. And how long do you typically listen to that station when you start to lose the signal? Not very long. As soon as that happens, you start turning that dial and looking for something else that's clear because the ear is way less forgiving than the eye.
1: <laughs> so yes. now
2: the same thing is happening in the podcast space where it's like people are so used to listening to these NPR style shows, to Joe Rogan, to Tim Ferriss, to all these people that have these huge audiences. These are like, those are their go to regular shows. So if they then listen to somebody else's show and there's a lot of background noise or, the levels aren't right or it's staticky or there's dead air or whatever it may be, they're going to be like, I can't listen to this because their ear is now trained for a certain level of quality. And that's kind of why we do what we do too. Because for a business owner, if your podcasting fits into your business strategy, which it does for most people, it's a good, very good platform to be on now you need to meet that expectation so that you're putting your brand in the proper spotlight and you're delivering the quality of product that people can come to expect from you.
1: I'm doing it because I don't like video. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: that too. I'm doing
1: it also because it's also a healthy hybrid for someone like me because I prefer writing. I prefer being behind the scenes, being with my thoughts and then letting the words do what it needs to do. But then I also understand that, you know, speaking found me by accident with the TEDx's and whatnot, because that was the first thing I ever did when it came to speaking. It was a, f- so I've done that. But then I figured that, yes, I love the live audience. I enjoy that quite a bit. But if I had to do a video, I just don't know. For me, it loses because of being this, this kind of a reader, you know, reading wired brain and writing wired brain. I think it's always interesting to let people imagine what the other person looks like or sounds like yes we have pictures on the podcast of course for people to see and links to people's website of course but i think there's something about the human voice that when you hear stories like i was so immersed in what you we were saying right now because i actually did not know this about you until like before we just started talking which by the way whoever's listening to this Mari and i spoke for about an hour before we actually started recording mm-hmm. We had a <laughs> um, lot
2: of important things to cover
1: we had a lot of important things to cover him and i talk about all kinds of things. And we're going to cover a couple of things that is possible to cover on the podcast, at least in a second here. But I just to wrap up that thought was that I like this medium, because it lets me focus more on how I speak what I want to talk about, and not worry about how something looks or how my hair looks. And I'm never usually worried about those things. But I suppose like it's less pressure. And I can be that person who's usually in her mind. Versus like all the periphery of shizzle.
2: My thing is video is a very good platform or a good medium, but for people to consume video, they have to have a really good reason because for me to sit and watch a video, I have to stop everything else I'm doing and I have to sit here and watch it for me to listen to a podcast. I can be in the shower. I can Mm. be at the gym. I can be driving. I can be working. I can be doing all kinds of other things while I'm listening. And if I like it enough, then I can go search for video. So my whole thing is start with a podcast, get your messaging right, get your positioning correct, start to build your audience, get their feedback. And then if they want video and they ask for it, then give it to them because you know you're creating. Because video not only is a way more expensive to produce, but as you said, there's a lot more moving parts. And to me, it has nothing to do with what's fancier or anything like that. It has everything to do with consumption. Where are you going to get consumption? Because I always ask the question. You, I'm sure you've heard it. If a tree falls in the forest and no one's around, does it really make a sound? Well, I ask the question, if you create the best piece of content ever and no one consumes it, does it really exist? Yeah. So it's like, where am I going to get the most consumption right away? And then let the audience tell you what they want. You have to build an audience regardless. So do it in the easiest, most efficient way for them, which 99 out of 100 times, that's a podcast. That's where you'll find the people. They know how to do it. They can do it while they do other things. And as you generate that audience and as you accrue them, ask them what they want. And if they say they want video, then you can start to give them video, but you're doing it and making that commitment knowing that there's demand for it.
1: I couldn't agree more. I really like this format and it's so easy to deliver on as well because you don't have to... You know, worry about being in the same country as well because I'm not exactly back in the States at the moment. So that helps. I have to ask you, we talk about faith a lot as well, you and me. One of the things we were talking about earlier, which I'll just pick apart for this conversation would be, you talked about the world being so loud right now, right? Mm-hmm. We don't need to touch upon the politics of it all. There's so much screaming for our attention, okay? There's enough out there that anyone could get emotionally triggered by And even if you're, even if you're passively consuming something, right, how do you want as an entrepreneur navigate it, or just maybe not even entrepreneur, I think maybe more as a human, like just as a human being having this experience, because not everyone was raised around technology as well, right? How do you contextualize it for yourself when there's overwhelm? Because clearly, there has to be moments when you watch something or you hear a certain type of thought process. How do you contextualize it for yourself, this noise that we're surrounded by? And then if you could also talk to us a little bit about, I'm just going to break this thought for a second and just let you know, Mario can preach. <laughs> you like? Does not I don't mean like, just, I don't mean biblical pe- preaching per se. I mean, like when you, you heard him like go through a story and I, like I said, I was just listening. I was like, these are things I did not know about Mario. <laughs> but just the way he tells stories is just fantastic. So I hope this helps somebody, of course, but faith is really important and intrinsic to who he is. And you Mm -hmm. don't necessarily need to agree or I, you know, none of us needs to worry about that dimension really, but I hope you'll take the concept of how he uses his faith and his relationship to and with God to drive decisions in what he does.
2: Yeah, that was well put. I mean, I think faith, no, I think I know my relationship with God and faith is the center of my life, period. I mean, everything else I do stems from that. I think that's where, you know, the world is very loud today, as you said. And I think that that's how I keep that in perspective is through the lens of faith. I'm very firm on my belief of who I am, who God is in my life and how he directs it. And I'll just come out and say, again, I don't try to convert people. I am a very devout practicing Catholic. That's who I am. That's my faith. And I came to that conclusion, not because I was raised that way. I was, but I came to that conclusion on my own because there was a time when I was a young man trying to find my way in the world that I questioned everything. I went away from everything and I said, well, is this really how it is? Just because I'm born and taught this doesn't necessarily mean this is true. So let me come back and analyze this and let me ask some questions and let me look at some other things and see what's out there and see what there is. And what I came to the conclusion of personally in my own life through prayer and through study and through questions and conversations is that to me, Catholicism is the fullness of truth. What I mean by that is there are many other religions out there. There are many other faiths out there and they all have truth within them. So I never discount Anything, anyone's belief system. I never tell you you're wrong. I never assume that you're wrong. I never disrespect you for that. There are truths in everything, and it's uncovering those truths that are very important. I just believe from my experience and what I've seen that Catholicism has that fullness of truth where there's more truth present that I've uncovered than anywhere else through any conversation I've had in other study. And so that faith, knowing that, Allows me, and this is why I think, you know, a lot of people say I'm spiritual, but not religious in today's world Mm -hmm. because they want to do, you know, they want certain things to be certain ways. So they kind of set it up that way and it makes them feel good and it makes them operate in a certain way and it helps them navigate. But I don't really like that personally for me because I like to have that moral compass. I like to have something because I also believe, and one of the things that I started with was I didn't do anything to be born. Right. Me personally, like my parents obviously did something, but I didn't do anything and I had no control over that. I was born and I was just here. I was given this gift of life. So, because I did nothing to merit me being here right now, why should I have total control over the way things are? Meaning, you know, there are certain rules that you're brought into, there are certain guidelines. Like, first of all, I think we can all agree that we shouldn't kill each other. Right. You should never go out and just, kill another person. Why? You could, you could go out and kill as many people as you want, but we don't, and we shouldn't. It's inherently wrong. That's a rule that we all understand. We're all born knowing, and we can all agree on. Why is that? Why is that there? And it's because, you know, I obviously have a very tight relationship with God, and I believe that God gave us certain guidelines to live by so that things would be harmonious things could be peaceful. Things could get back to him. Now, not everything's easy. We're always tempted. We all sin. We all do things that we shouldn't do. It's part of being human, but God gives us the grace to be able to stand up to that. And he gives us the the number one gift he gave us was this life, right? He gave us being, he let us be alive. The second greatest gift he gave us is free will. He allows us to make decisions. He allows us to make choices Namely, the most important choice we ever make is: Are we going to go towards God or away from God? Are we going to choose God or are we going to choose the world? Now, it's God is in the world, so I'm not saying that if you choose the world, you're not choosing God. You know, it's not like completely one or the other. What I mean by that is kind of the way of the world. There's a way of the world and there's a way of God. So you have to get firm in your faith very first and foremost before you can start to do any of these other things, because when I see the news, when I see, and I don't watch the news, but every once in a while I'll be scrolling through whatever social media and there's something there. When I see these things, I look at them through the lens of faith through the lens of, and I don't discount people and their viewpoints. They're very valid, but I always like to spend time thinking about them from a distance, not get all wrapped up in the emotion and the noise per se, because, People get emotional and they get noisy, right? When people get emotional, they don't typically sit and ponder. They typically start to yell and scream and get louder and move faster and all of these things. And that's all well and good, but that's emotion. I'm more interested in reason. I'm more interested in, and then once I come to a conclusion, then I can create emotion around that reason that's a little more stable. And that's just the way my mind operates. And, you know, it's not that I'm always right and it's not that I can't be talked out of it, but it's, that's just the way that I like to ponder things and I like to learn, but I always start with God and I always start with his word because, you know, I always start with the church because the Bible is the book of the church in my faith. So I always start with the church and the tradition of the church and the sacraments. Then I go to the word and I spend time every day with the word. I spend time every day reading scripture. You know, looking at it, seeing how I can apply that to my life. What's God trying to say to me in this passage? What's the lesson here? How can I apply this to my life? And I think that your business is a reflection of your life, so, or your inner thoughts and inner workings. So, I learned that what was funny is when my faith wasn't so strong and I was an entrepreneur, you know, I I always prayed, I always read scripture. But there was a time when I was like, look, I got to make money. I got to figure this out. I'm an entrepreneur. And so every waking second, I would spend trying to find the next marketing tactic, trying to learn the next self-development thing, trying to do. And that's all I did all day long. And it felt like I was climbing uphill. It felt like I was banging my head against the wall. It felt like I'm doing all this work, but I'm only getting this much result. It felt like I was running a marathon, but on a treadmill, like everyone else is running this race and I'm at the starting line, and I'm running as fast as everyone, and I'm working as hard as everyone, but everyone else is moving towards the finish line, and I'm on this treadmill just going through the motions and getting tired. And that's how I felt. And then I came to the conclusion, I was like, look, I'm going to take some time in between my... I'm still going to do my business act. Here, here, I made a list, and I like whittled things down. I said, here are my non-negotiable business activities. These are the things I have to do. These are the things that move the needle. These are the things that grow my business and serve my clients that I currently have while allowing me to find newer clients. Instead of, and that became the first thing, okay, this is what I have to do every day. This is my operations guide, more or less. When I'm not doing this, when I have time in between the day or in between calls or whatever it may be, instead of trying to find the latest, greatest marketing tactic in changing this, which I know works, I'm going to go back to God and I'm going to say, God, what do you want from me? I'm going to pray. I'm going to read some scripture. I'm going to you know, maybe watch a YouTube video that's uplifting and Christian and things like that. So I started doing that. So I found myself throughout the day doing my daily operations, staying solid to those, doing the things that I know I have to do. And then in between that, filling the gaps with God. And the funny thing is most people would be like, well, now you're not as focused on business because you're focusing on something else in between. Your business is not going to grow as fast. Quite the opposite happened. When I made that shift, my business grew faster. It started to take off. I immediately realized I was no longer on the treadmill and no longer was I running the race. I was then winning the race. And I'm not surprised by that in theory because it makes sense when you center yourself on what's important. And you create that solid foundation within yourself. And then you start, it helps you make better decisions. It helps you make faster decisions. It helps you do things for the right reason. It helps you attract better quality people who are also on the same journey. And it does all of those things. And so in theory, it doesn't, but but people always think in theory, this is great, but will it really happen? And it did happen and it continues to happen. Like I don't sit around and worry about where's the next client going to come from. That doesn't cross my mind. We have plenty of great clients right now that are doing really great things that we love helping and we have more people that come to us each and every week that have the potential of becoming great clients and we talk to them and a, a portion of them say yes and a portion of them need more time and that's fine too but I don't have this stress in my life of I need to get to this number I need to hit this goal I need to it's like I'm just serving. Yeah. And that's all it is and it and that's what works for me. But I always keep that faith and what's important central. And what the most important thing is, is Jesus Christ. You keep him at the center of everything. And then you trust, you know, he says, God provides for everyone. You have to, you have to do the work. Don't get me wrong. You got to yeah. like, look at the, the loaves and the fishes, right? I love those stories, the, the, the stories that show up in the different gospels. Jesus teaching people. The apostles come to them and say, hey, you have to send them away to eat. They haven't eaten. They're going to get sick. Jesus said, no, you feed them. And there's like 5,000 people, 4,000 people. How are we going to feed them? Well, what do you have? We have these loaves and fishes. Okay, Jesus takes them, blesses them, breaks them. Everyone eats and they collect 12 baskets full at the end. The moral of that story to me, one of the morals, there's many different things you can pull out of that, but one of them is, and I heard this, I was watching a show that's very popular, Christian shows you may have heard this, but it's, it was really good when I heard this, it, me, it really made a difference in my life. All you have to do is provide the loaves and fish. You don't have to make the miracle. God makes the miracle. So for me, I have faith in God that he's going to take care of me. He's going to make things happen. This may sound frou-frou, but you have to put in the work to allow him to do what he does. Not to allow him, but that's the way God operates. You show up, bring the loaves and fish and he'll take care of everyone. You put in the work, like you're not going to just sit in the corner all day and think happy thoughts and good things are going to happen. That's not the way life works.
1: No, this is what the spiritualist uh, (laughs) people are teaching. Yeah, (laughs) no, that's not.
2: Yeah, the the whole, the secret. (laughs) Now look, the law of attraction is a thing. I believe in it. It does work. However, most people take it out of context. The law of attraction, the whole purpose behind it is to get so emotionally attached to what you want to create that it incites you into action. Because things only come from action. You have to do the work. So that's the point. You get so emotionally attached. You vividly see it so much. You change your identity to the point that you go out and do the work to get the result. Most people will preach... Oh, you just have to sit and think. You have to get in that vibration. You have to meditate. You have to like, don't get me wrong, meditation is good. It's a great practice. I meditate regularly, but I'm not under this impression that that's all I have to do. Right? right. I have to get on the phone with people. I have to communicate. I have to, you know, serve people. I have to understand people. I have to do all these things in order for us to do what we do. If I would just sit and meditate all day long, my business would not grow. My business would die. My business would not even be a business. So yes, you start with that foundation of faith. You start with those things that are important, but then you have to integrate it and you have to use it to be your compass, so to speak. Even if you have the compass and you know where you want to go and you have a map, you still have to either walk, drive, or fly there. You can't just sit and stare at the compass and map and then be like, oh, eventually I'll end up, I'll just open my eyes and be in Aruba. That's not how it works. So this is kind of the same thing.
0: Thanks so much for stopping by Words and Voices with Neelam Tawar. We can't wait to see you again with another voice and more words from game changers, movers and shakers, and quiet visionaries creating a dent in the world. Oh, and please don't forget to comment and share what resonated with you here or on info at neelamtawar.com. Till we meet next, and as Neelam says, be good to you.